Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Hi, everybody. Good morning. It's so good to be with all of you this morning. And uh, again, a special happy Veterans Day to you veterans. Uh, Some of you may not know this, but I am a veteran myself. I was was in the Army from 1986 to 1990. I was in an airborne engineer unit, and I was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. (laughs) I'll tell you kind of a funny a story. Uh, there was, I had two deployments when I was uh, in the army, and one deployment was to Kenya, and another one was to Honduras. And in both uh, places, uh, as an engineer unit, we went there to build uh, runways for those respective governments. So it's about 1987, I think, and Uh, I was deployed to Honduras for three months, and Honduras, just south of Honduras is Nicaragua, and our base camp was right on the Nicaraguan border. And one day, we got word that somebody had uh, been doing some shooting, and they they had killed themselves on a Nicaraguan runway. And we, we were like 15, 20 miles away from that runway, but needless to say, it kind of set us off in like a red alert, you know. So red alert, what it meant was you have to go and get your weapon and then go to the perimeter of the base camp and get in the foxhole and just kind of wait and see what's going to unfold. So it, it's pandemonium. Everybody's running all these different directions, but me and my platoon, you know, there's like 20 or 30 of us guys, we're running in this one direction, and off in the distance, about 20 or 30 yards away, we see one guy running toward us, and he's, he's running like this, he's carrying, you can clearly see it's boxes, like three boxes, and as he gets closer to us, we hear him say, save the beer, save the beer, he was doing his patriotic duty, you know, because beer is, a, is a, a precious commodity on an army base. Anyway, just a funny story, and uh, seriously, happy Veterans Day to all of you. Well, today, we are going to look at the most important commandment out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Now, remember again, whenever we engage in Scripture, context is everything, and all of this is taking place, all of this in chapter 12, is taking place during the last week of Jesus' life. And things are reaching this sort of fever pitch. And needless to say, there is a lot of tension that's in the air. We've seen him uh, upset tables in the in the temple courts uh, toward the end of chapter 11. And as we moved into chapter 12, we read about Jesus condemning Israel's leaders by telling them a parable. You might remember uh, a month or so ago, I was here with you and I shared about the parable of the tenants. And this parable was a parable of judgment against the spiritual leaders of Israel. 
So the religious leaders, these guys are ticked. They're cut of the money from the uh, money changers um, in the temple courts for the time being. Their cut is over, and now they've been directly insulted by Jesus. And in response to all of this, they actually take a bit of a tactful approach by presenting Jesus with a series of questions, questions that had either religious or political implications. And had Jesus answered any of these questions incorrectly, man, all hell would have broke loose. And we see throughout chapter 12 where there's different groups that come to Jesus with these questions. There were the Herodians, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. You remember uh, from several weeks ago where Israel's leaders came to Jesus and asked him the question of who they should pay taxes to. Talk about a loaded question, right? And then they came to Jesus with another difficult question about marriage and the resurrection. You might remember Pastor Brent from two weeks ago. He talked about life after life after death. And all of these questions posed to Jesus were meant to discredit him. They were wanting to discredit him because Jesus was popular with the people. I've mentioned before how Jesus was an influencer because wherever he went, crowds of people followed. He was a social and cultural disruptor. He was disrupting the way Israel's leaders lorded over the common people. And you could probably guess that living in first century Israel was no cakewalk. You had the Romans who were oppressive with both their heavy tax burdens and their military presence. And then you had Israel's uh, religious leaders who emphasized the importance of living according to all 613 uh, Jewish laws. I mean, who can do that, right? So a common person in that day was feeling a great deal of pressure politically, economically, and religiously. And as Jesus enters the scene, people could see that this guy was different than these oppressive forces. He wasn't a heavy-handed military leader, but instead was a spiritual leader and was quite different than Israel's spiritual leaders at the time in that he went to the marginalized, to the forgotten, to the unclean. And we've seen examples of Jesus's touch all throughout the gospel of Mark. We've noticed his care that he extended to people. And by the time we get to our passage today, the religious leaders, they're just kind of regrouping because they recognize Jesus's popularity with the people. And after the question about marriage and the resurrection, they move on to another question for Jesus. And this is where we pick up in verse 28. One of the teachers, one of, the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Another challenging question, right? And this question is really a question of weight. Which commandment will Jesus give more weight to? This is a question that Jesus had probably been asked numerous times 
throughout his ministry. It's, and it's a question that, depending on how he answered, would tell people a lot about him and about his worldview. An example of someone in Scripture who had to consider giving more weight to one law over another is in the story of Rahab, the prostitute. In the book of Joshua, there's a really interesting scene where Rahab was faced with a dilemma when two spies came to her house. When her king hears about these two spies entering her house, he sent some men to question them. So now Rahab, she has a dilemma when the men come looking for these spies. In this instance, she is going to break a law. She is either not going to protect the foreigner in her home, which goes against the Levitical law that says, when a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not wrong him. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as one of your citizens. You shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So, she needs to protect the spies, but to do so means that she needs to lie. If she lies, she's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And it's kind of like people who protect, protected Jews from the Nazis uh, by hiding them in their houses during World War II. So which law would Rahab give more weight to? Well, Rahab, she rightly chose the law with more weight by lying to protect the foreigners in her house. So, when the religious leaders uh, come and question Jesus, they wanted to see which commandment would he give more weight to. And the commandments referenced here are, of course, the Ten Commandments. And we know them as no other gods, no idols, do not take God's name in vain, keep the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, do not lie, and do not envy. You notice in this list that the first four commandments have to do with our relationship to God, right? You can see that. The remaining six have to do with our relationship with one another. So Jesus, he goes on to answer their question and tells them, what he gives more weight to. He says in verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. So the first point, if you're following along in the outline, is the most important commandment is to love God. Now, when I read this passage, I get terribly convicted because I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, I don't love the Lord, my God, with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength. I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I do, but I don't because so often I'm just trying to grind it out day after day. And I think what it really gets down to is what is my greatest priority in life? Is it loving God? 
I mean, what's your greatest priority in life? Is it to love God? Or is it money? Is it getting the promotion, buying a bigger house, security, having more influence? I don't know what it is. But what is it for you? It's pretty convicting, isn't it? Jesus answers here with what is known in Jewish circles as the Shema. The Shema comes from the book of Deuteronomy, and it reads this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is a very important prayer that Jews recite twice a day once upon waking and once in the evening, just before going to bed. So Jesus, in answering the religious leader's question, is first of all stating his command of the Torah, but also mentions the obvious, that the most important thing in our lives is to love God first. That's something that you and I should strive for. But as we know, it's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, we read in scriptures time and time again about how God's chosen people went off and worshiped other gods and bowed down in worship to idols. And just as it was with the Israelites when they were first given the Ten Commandments, we see that it's not always easy to put God first. I mean, we do the same thing, don't we? Where we tend to put other things before God. And I think it's because our fallen nature gets in the way of putting God first as we often fall to the tantalizing uh, things of the world, the various temptations that the world offers us. And these temptations, they lure us away from the pursuit of the things of God. And we, instead, we pursue worldly things that bring about individual pleasure. It's all about being self-centered. Martin Luther, he describes the self-centeredness of man as being curved in upon himself to such an extent that he bends not only physical and, but also spiritual goods toward himself, seeking himself first in all things. And all of us are guilty of this self-centeredness. This is where the tension lies for those of us who follow Jesus, right? Because as Christ followers, we're constantly feeling the tension of the temptations of earthly pursuits and our desire to follow God. The Apostle Paul, he felt this in his own life as he wrote to the Church of Rome. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. He's conflicted, isn't he? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 
Can anyone else relate to this? Man, I sure can. Now, I'm making an assumption here this morning that all of us want to quit doing the things that we know we shouldn't do, right? And instead, we desire to do the things that please God. So the question is, how exactly do you do that? What does it mean for us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? How can you and I unbend ourselves and not look inward, but instead look outward towards God? Now, this is not exhaustive by any means, okay? But here are a couple of things that you and I can do to unbend ourselves and look outward in such a way that is pleasing to God. The first is this, be thankful. Be thankful. I mean, having a posture of thanksgiving immediately puts you in outward focus toward God. Just being mindful that anything you and I have in our lives is only because it's a gift from God. In acknowledging that and giving thanks for the things we have, it helps us to follow, to, to um, focus less on the things that we don't have. Just consider, as your story is unfolding, do you want to be known as someone who is constantly striving, constantly pursuing for more and more? Do you want to be known as a person who is unhappy because you don't have fill in the blank? Or... Do you want to be known as someone who's thankful for the many blessings in your life? So here's a little homework for all of us to do this week. This week, every single day, I want you to write down one thing that you're thankful for. Write it on a sticky, put it on your bathroom mirror, write it in lipstick, whatever you got to do, write down one thing and, and that you're thankful for and put it on your bathroom mirror. So... Be thankful. Another thing you and I can do to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is to be obedient. The first part of the Shema is hear, O Israel. The hearing part is easy. It's what do we do with what we've heard that's hard because obedience is then required, right? And obedience, as we all know, is never an easy thing to do. It was March of 1974. A 52-year-old man in green fatigues had finally come out of hiding on the Philippine island of Lubang. He was in good health. His weapon was in good working order. And there had been rumors and reported sightings of this guy for many years amongst the villagers in the surrounding communities. But it wasn't until his former commander, Major Yoshimi Taniguchi, was flown to where the soldier was hiding out that the mystery man finally emerged from the jungle. Major Taniguchi told Hiro Onoda that it was okay, that he could finally surrender. In 1944, Onoda, he was an intelligence officer in the Japanese Imperial Army. And the last orders that he received 
just prior to, to America's invasion of the island, were from his commander who told him this, you are absolutely forbidden to die by your own hand. It may take three years, it may take five, but whatever happens, we'll come back for you. Until then, so long as you have one soldier, you are to continue to lead him. You may have to live on coconuts. If you have to live on coconuts, then live on coconuts. Under no circumstances are you to give up your life voluntarily. So, being an obedient soldier, Anoda, he lived on the island for 29 years after the Japanese had formally surrendered, signaling the end of the war. On that March day of 1974, when Onoda came out of hiding, he had the distinction of being one of the last Japanese soldiers to surrender from World War II. Now, that's an extreme example of obedience, right? But like Onoda, living a disciplined spiritual life requires obedience. And for us as Christians, what we're faced with is if we are to be obedient to what the word of God says or not. And being obedient to God, of course, doesn't mean that things are going to go easy for you. I mean, again, just reading in the scriptures, we can see how Moses, in obedience, had to face Pharaoh. Esther, in obedience, and at risk of her own life, had to face a king. Jonah, in obedience, had to confront the most terrifying people on earth at the time. But all of them followed through with what God had for them through obedience. So, the first thing Jesus says is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says in verse 31, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus sums up the Ten Commandments and all of the Jewish law by essentially saying, if you love God, then you will love others. I mean, talk about a verse that is pertinent for our world today, right? If we loved others as ourselves, wouldn't all hatred end? If we loved others at ourselves, wouldn't there be no more bloodshed, no more wars? But loving others is easier said than done, isn't it? Because as we know, people are not always easy to love, are they? And pertaining to this question, there was another time when Jesus was asked a question by an expert in the law, and the expert wanted to know who his neighbor was. Jesus goes on to tell the famous story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, a Jewish priest, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, also a Jewish guy, 
When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say Samaritan. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The question was again, who is my neighbor? See, in the culture at the time, it was normal to view one's neighbor as a member of one's own ethnic or religious group. And Jesus, by telling this story, is saying that everyone is your neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. Not those who live in close proximity to you. Not those who look like you and believe the things you do. This is really a story about loving those who are not like us. Those not like us means that we may not have an understanding of their language, their culture, the food they eat. They probably won't look like us. They'll have different beliefs than us. Everything about them is different. And as the Good Samaritan story further illustrates, we may not even like them. Those people, Jesus says, are your neighbor. See, that's why Jesus used the Samaritan as the good guy in the story. Because at the time, Jews and Samaritans, they couldn't stand one another due to cultural and religious differences. So, who is the Samaritan in my life? Who is the person not like me that I need to extend love to? Who's the Samaritan in your life? We all have them. I think this is why Jesus says these two commandments are the greatest because they're often the hardest to follow. But if we do follow them, they provide evidence of our faith in him. And when we follow these two commandments, they also provide a witness to an unbelieving world. A great example of a modern-day version of this came from a Presbyterian minister by the name of Fred Rogers, who in 1968, he created a television program to answer the question of who is my neighbor? And over the show's 33-year history, it ran almost 900 episodes. And most episodes would highlight a different neighbor in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And probably the most controversial episode occurred in 1969. 
when Mr. Rogers invited the neighborhood police officer, Officer Clemens, to join him in soaking his feet in a wading pool on a hot summer day. It was controversial because Officer Clemens was black. The two would go on to recreate the scene again in 1993, and in that episode, Mr. Rogers helped Officer Clemens dry off his feet evoking a biblical gesture. This scene touched Francois, the actor Francois Clemens in such a way that he said, the icon Fred Rogers was not only showing my brown skin in the tub with his white skin as two friends, but as I was getting out of that tub, he was helping dry my feet. As he dried off the feet of his friend, Mr. Rogers told his young viewers, sometimes a minute like this will really make a difference. While on the surface, he was talking about cooling off on a hot day, but Officer Clemens knew that it went far deeper than that. He said he was making a very strong statement. It was a statement that Mr. Rogers made at a time of heightened race issues across America. Those of you who are old enough, you remember that time. Mr. Rogers showed America with a very simple gesture how to love your neighbor as yourself. May we be men and women who do the same. The passage concludes... Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. After this scene, there were no more trick questions coming. But now the plot kind of thickens as the leaders seek out a willing individual who will go about betraying Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for the ability to gather in community as we're doing now. God, we're mindful that many followers of yours around the world cannot do what we're doing right now. God, we do lift up the persecuted church around the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters that you would encourage them, that you would grant them boldness wherever they're at. God, we thank you so much for your word as it's holy and it's true. We thank you, Jesus, for this passage that was shared today and how you remind us of the greatest commandment is to love you and to love others. And we admit this morning, God, that doing both of those things is not easy. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would equip us to do that, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving 
For joining serving opportunities and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.